0: Welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby, a podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative for Perinatal Quality Care. TIPQC exists to improve health outcomes for mothers and infants in Tennessee through our quality collaborative that will identify opportunities to optimize maternal and infant outcomes across our state and is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. The Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby podcast is designed for medical professionals and for patients and families across the state. We will focus on all aspects of the perinatal period with special attention to reducing our maternal mortality rate. This podcast is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance in Maternal Health.
1: Welcome to the Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee podcast brought to you by the Tennessee Initiative of Perinatal Quality Care. I'm Scott Guthrie, a neonatologist and the Infant Medical Director of TIPQC. One of the things that is so fun about this podcast is that we get to discuss all types of topics with you. that can hopefully help improve the care for mothers and babies, not only in Tennessee, but anywhere this podcast is being listened to. We also discuss topics that at times may be more relevant to the general public and at times may be best for medical providers. Today's discussion is definitely more for providers, but I guarantee that if you aren't a provider, you will still learn something and enjoy today's guests. Over the last year, TIPQC has been leading a simulation training project in our state. This has involved nearly all of the birthing facilities in Tennessee as we have trained their educators in how to run efficient and effective simulation trainings involving both mothers and babies with life-threatening emergencies. The first year was an overwhelming success, and our second round of training starts soon. One of the things we taught last year was the use of a supraglottic airway device in neonates. This is commonly referred to by the trade name, the laryngeal basque airway, or LMA. For simplicity today, we're going to refer to this device as the LMA. Since that training, there has been increasing interest not only in Tennessee, but around the U.S., and dare I say the world, in the use of this device for resuscitation and in babies, and for other purposes that we will discuss in just a minute with our podcast guest. Speaking of our guests, let me introduce her to you. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee is happy to welcome Dr. Carrie Roberts to our show today. Dr. Roberts is an Associate Professor of Pediatrics in the Division of Neonatology at the University of Minnesota. She's also won several awards over her career and has been recognized as one of the best doctors in America. As you're about to learn, she's also one of the world's leading experts in the use of the LMA. Additionally, she's also one of the nicest people I know and have had the opportunity to work with her on a few projects over the years and travel the world with her on some of these projects. Carrie, welcome to Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby Tennessee. It's nice and warm here in Tennessee today. How's the weather in Minnesota? Oh, well,
2: thanks, Scott. It's nice to be here. It is sunny and seventy-five in Minnesota, and I think this will be a fun podcast. I'm chuckling to myself already because that introduction was wonderful, and I'm chuckling because the backstory on that is that when I gave a talk in Saudi Arabia during my introduction, I was introduced as the best doctor in America and received a standing ovation. So for that, uh, Scott knows that little story, and I think that's why. <laughs> <my favorite. laughs>
1: Yeah, I love that story. That's an awesome story. So I, I messed it up. I said, you're one of the best doctors in America, but literally the story is you are the best doctor in America. That's so, great. But thank you for correcting me. Well, hey, you know, it is an absolute pleasure having you today. I've been looking forward to doing this podcast. And the first thing I want to do is because we have so many types of listeners to the TipQC podcast, it, it can be parents, it can be providers, it can be all different types of providers. I think with this topic, we need to tell people exactly what we're talking about. What is a laryngeal mask airway or LMA?
2: Oh, well, that's a great place to start. So an LMA, like you said, stands for a laryngeal, kind of means the back of the throat. Mask means that there's a cuff at the end that blows up and provides a seal in the back of the throat so that the air, the ventilation is directed into the lungs and not into the esophagus and stomach. And airway, again, it provides an airway. So you can do ventilation through the LMA. And as we'll discuss, you can do other things like provide some medication through it.
1: And one of my favorite stories that I learned about you is that prior to going to medical school, you were an emergency medical technician. I think is awesome because this is where you were first exposed to an LMA. Is that right? Right.
2: So I said, when I think back on how this... Like the life just kind of loops in among itself and the foundation is laid when you don't even know it's being laid. That's correct. When I was in college, I was an EMT. I went to college at a rural University of Minnesota, a bit out in Western Minnesota, which was very rural. And about 50% of the EMT crew was made up of people, adults from the town um, and about 50% of college students. So in those two years, I was exposed to the use of an LMA during CPR in the field And little did I know that that would become the focus of my career many, many years later.
1: Yeah, that's cool. Hopefully, we're going to have a lot of EMTs listening to this podcast. So It's one of the reasons I wanted them to understand your background and certainly the things that they're exposed to, the things that they're learning. It helps us in neonatology even sort of figure out how to better take care of our babies and maybe apply some of the things that are being used to adults in our population. So tell us further, how in the world, like, several years later did all of a sudden you like it, it come to you that this is what we need to be doing in babies
2: right like as I said it's fun how your life just kind of is a journey and uh, when I I'm, I'm a neonatologist also I mainly work at a level four nursery in Minnesota but we also cover a level two three in the community and rounding on those babies I was really watching the kids especially that were on CPAP that were at about 30 to 40 percent oxygen and watching them have difficulty breathing and having some respiratory distress, but having to make the decision on do you let them just kind of wait this out or should I give them some surfactant, which I know will improve their respiratory status, but that would require a procedure called intubation where you put the breathing tube through their vocal cords in order to give them that surfactant that they need. But then again, it's exposing them to the stress and pain and potential adverse effects of intubation. So rounding on those babies kind of in that gray zone of, I know that they would improve if we gave them some surfactant, but is it worth the procedure of the intubation to give them that medication? That was a group of kids that I really began to think, you know what, if we could just place the LMA in the back of their throat, give them the surfactant and take it right back out, um, I bet that would be the key to having them be uh, successful and get over their hump without needing intubation and mechanical ventilation.
1: Yeah, so amazing. I love that story. So let's back up for a little bit and just talk about the original way an LMA was designed for and used for. And maybe let's do this first. Tell us, go through the mechanics of, of placing one of these devices. So, for somebody who, who can conceptualize what we're talking about, who's had some exposure to this, right. well, how exactly do you get it into place? How easy is it to get into place?
2: Sounds good. Well, my reference is usually the show ER. (laughs) Most people have seen somebody intubate on that show where you need to use what's called a laryngoscope to look and find the vocal cords and then place the breathing tube through the vocal cords. And that actually takes a lot of skill. It's a very difficult procedure and it's stressful for the baby. The LMA itself looks very similar to a breathing tube, but the biggest difference is that instead of being placed through the vocal cords, It just sits in the back of the airway and has an inflatable cuff. And so that does not require the use of the laryngoscope to find the vocal cords because nothing needs to go through those vocal cords. So placement is incredibly easy in that you just use your left thumb to grasp the tongue and open the mouth and then insert the LMA itself with your right hand. And then you just advance with your fingers until you feel it hit the pocket of the posterior pharynx. And then you know it's in the proper placement if you have a CO2 detector or listen for breath sounds. And again, it's as easy as that, does not require laryngoscopy. And so dramatically different in terms of ease and time for placement.
1: So when I think about that show ER, like you referenced, and I'm watching those doctors, they're like at that big metal blade, that's the the laryngoscope, and they're shoving that down somebody's throat, and then they're having to look and, and find the place to put it. You're telling me that with this device, All I really have to do is open the mouth and put something in the mouth. and I don't even have to visualize anything or look at anything or even have any significant skill to speak of. I could do this without ever having done it before.
2: That's exactly right. And that's the beauty of the LMA is that it requires very little skill and very little equipment.
1: Wow. So who could this be applicable to in a hospital or medical type setting? I mean, what type of people could place something like this? Do you you have to be a physician to do it, or could you be anybody?
2: No, and that's the beauty of this is that it's applicable to babies and adults, applicable to use in anywhere from a hospital setting that has a lot of skilled personnel as well as equipment, all the way to a community hospital that the providers are maybe less familiar with intubation. And then even, as Scott, you know, you and I are on a quest to have babies in low and middle-income countries also be able to benefit from this device to improve neonatal survival,
1: mm-hmm. um,
2: but don't have access to providers, intubation, or mechanical ventilation.
1: So, if somebody had had a choice of, if you just say a baby shows up at a, a level two hospital or one of our rural hospitals in Tennessee. What might be some of the reasons that a provider would choose to use an LMA over laryngoscopy and intubation and endotracheal tube? What might some things be going on with that baby that they would choose to do this?
2: All right. That's a common situation that we are in when we're on clinical services, that we get a call from an outside community hospital where they have a baby who's working hard to breathe on some oxygen and one of the most common etiologies of babies needing breathing help if they're born premature are because they still have fluid in their lungs called transient tachypnea of the newborn, and that requires some time, and if they have the ability to do some CPAP, that's usually helpful. Or the other very common etiology is something called respiratory distress syndrome, commonly known as RDS, and that's secondary surfactant deficiency. Surfactant is a nice greasy lining that full-term babies and adults have that keeps their air sacs open, whereas preterm babies are born with a deficiency of surfactant and so their little air sacs want to collapse and that causes them to be in respiratory distress. If you think about a community hospital that has providers that are very unfamiliar, are very uncomfortable with intubation, they maybe haven't done an intubation since they left their training years. They have the option then of placing an LMA and giving the surfactant administration. So the baby would have a much greater chance of uh, being successful on just a low amount of respiratory support or no respiratory support at all. And the community hospital would be able to provide that, which would then avoid the transfer to a higher level uh, facility and allow the mom and baby to remain together.
1: What about for uh, resuscitation? Let's say there's something that happens in this hospital and in the delivery room where they realize that this baby needs a whole lot more than what we can typically provide can you use this device for something like that
2: right well in the past the lma itself was initially designed by an anesthesiologist for use you know for years it's been used in the adult population and like you said the emts that are listening or the emts that are listening are probably very familiar with its use in the adult population But it's just been over the last several years that its use has been more common in pediatric and the newborn, the neonate. And if you think about the the gold standard for newborn resuscitation is a program called NRP, which stands for Newborn Resuscitation Program. And that has been really the gold standard on how to train providers to resuscitate a newly born baby. And in the past, the NRP mentioned the LMA as an alternative device to provide an airway if intubation was unsuccessful or as a backup presented as an alternative airway device if intubation was not possible or not successful. But in the latest edition, it's come out as a recommendation to have an LMA present, and it's actually become one of the skills that the providers are trained on in order to be certified in NRP. And so looking at that and Thinking about how we could use that in the delivery room, the gold standard or the traditional method of providing a breathing support for a baby is through a face mask, which is a mask that goes around the baby's face. And it's very, very difficult to form a seal. And it's been shown in many studies that providing a seal or providing good face mask ventilation is the most difficult skill in the whole scheme of the newborn resuscitation. And it's the most important because babies usually have low heart rates when they're newly born because of respiratory distress from a lack of oxygen, whereas adults usually have a cardiac reason. And so for a baby to obtain or be able to be ventilated and get good oxygen is the most important step in resuscitation and is very important for getting their heart rates up also. If using a face mask for ventilation is a very difficult and often unsuccessful procedure. Thinking about something that could be an alternative that's easy to place and forms a nice seal in the back of the airway, the back of the throat is a wonderful alternative. And there's actually quite a few studies out now that have looked at the use of an LMA for resuscitation in the delivery room, not only in developed countries, but also for use by midwives in low and middle income countries.
1: And it's shown it to be easy to do and and very successful, right?
2: Easy to place, does not require a skilled provider and is effective in providing ventilation.
1: I know one of the things that I bet this happens in Minnesota too, you can correct me if it doesn't, but mm-hmm. one of the things I'll get occasionally is a transport call from typically one of our hospitals that doesn't see a whole lot of babies and it can be a baby that's having severe respiratory distress and a lot of times by the time they will have called us, they will be on their fifth, sixth Seventh right. attempt to intubate a baby, the pediatrician has tried, the emergency doctor has tried, the anesthesiologist has tried. I and mean, this is really one of those things that if you've tried a couple of times to get an airway in a baby by the traditional method, laryngoscopy, we really want to probably go to an LMA next, right? And help people remember to do that. Is that something right. you encounter in Minnesota too?
2: That is something that we encounter in Minnesota, indeed.
1: How have you dealt with it or or talked to your rural hospitals or EMTs about these devices and how they should use them and how they should have them available?
2: Right. Well, going back to the NRP training program, that's been instrumental in having people be familiar with one. As I mentioned in the past, they were really seen as an alternative airway for a baby that has an abnormal congenital malformation or just really difficult to intubate, and it was the type of device that people knew that that's what they should go to next, but nobody was familiar with placing one and no one was quite sure if they had one on the unit. And so having the NRP program now have the placement of the LMA as one of the training modules and having to be tested off on of it in order to be certified has dramatically improved just familiarity with the device. Well, the key has been to have people be familiar with it through the training this. And so, have them pull out a mannequin and practice placing it. Practice placing the device takes all about thirty seconds. Or that a provider does that, the more muscle memory that's ingrained, and also just the fact that you feel much more confident in what you're doing again brings the anxiety level down during a resuscitation. And then going back to what the baby needs, and so if this can be the go-to device, very very early things are not going well. Again, that avoids the spiral where the baby is not being ventilated during all the intubation attempts, and so then the heart rate is lower, which sends spirals to a baby in more distress. And if the unsuccessful attempts continue, then the babies end up needing CPR and epinephrine administration. So if you can interrupt that cycle very early by remembering that the LMA is a device that is available and effective and easy to place. And also having that skill in your back pocket and at the ready through frequent mannequin simulation uh, placement, that's often very, very helpful.
1: Yeah. So this is one of those things for, again, our rural hospitals, our EMTs that are out there. If you haven't ever intubated a baby before, you probably don't need to try it in your first emergency situation. Go straight to the use of the LMA. If you have intubated a baby before but it's been a couple of years. It's also one of the things that you probably want to go to very, very early, maybe like immediately instead of uh, getting into the airway and using the laryngoscope and and, and attempting an endotracheal tube and beginning to go down this spiral that Kerry was talking about. So Kerry, hey, one of the other things, you've mentioned this a little bit already, and this is where I think the, the real fun with this device lies, and that's with surfactant administration. So tell everybody real quick what surfactant is. I mean, I I know if you're a neonatologist, this is like (laughs) every day you're doing this stuff. But for our parents that may be listening, maybe for our EMTs who are listening to this, or somebody else who's not familiar with one of the most important things in neonatology, what is surfactant?
2: Right. Well, surfactant is something that's produced by the lung. And full-term babies and adults have plenty of surfactant, whereas preterm babies do not. Surfactant is a substance made by the lungs. Its job is to provide a nice greasy lining on the air sacs to decrease surface tension. And so the air sacs actually want to stay open rather than collapse when the patient or person exhales. And so full term babies and children and adults have plenty of surfactant, but preterm babies don't start to have an adequate amount. Of surfactant to breathe comfortably until they are late preterm or closer to the term gestation. And so when babies are born preterm, they have surfactant deficiency and that leads to the baby's air sacs wanting to collapse. And so they do things like they grunt and have retractions where they're trying to use their chest muscles to help them breathe and their nose is flaring because they're in respiratory distress surfactant is the key to having them breathe more easily. It was developed in the late in the 1980s and the studies were done in humans in the 1990s and so it's been something that over the last several decades has dramatically improved neonatal survival and lung health because of the discovery of surfactant for preterm babies.
1: Yeah so typically in the past we would have to Get the laryngoscope out, the big metal blade, put it down the baby's throat, find the vocal cords, and then stick the endotracheal tube through those vocal cords to give this medicine. And then one day, what? It just came to you that, hey, you know, I, I was an EMT in college, and we used to put this down all the time. Why don't I do this in a baby? And see, I mean, what, what was going on that helped you sort of figure out that this, this might be something that, that could be extremely helpful? How did you come up with this idea?
2: All right. Well, it was the babies that are in respiratory distress or have that respiratory distress syndrome, which is from deficiency in surfactant, uh, rounding on those babies, often what they need or can be supported with something called CPAP, uh, which if people are familiar, it's very similar to what adults have if they have sleep apnea. But what CPAP does is it forces air into their air sacs and help them helps the air sacs want to stay open. And so often babies that are born with respiratory distress syndrome are uh, initially on CPAP. And if they are on extra oxygen, they also need some extra oxygen. And so when rounding on the babies that were on CPAP, but still having respiratory distress, they still showing signs of increased work of breathing. They were on about 30 to 40% oxygen. Those kids were in the gray zone. So the babies that were on less oxygen, they are often going to get better with time. Those babies are often going to improve with time and don't need additional support. But it's the babies in the 30 to 40% zone where I knew that they would benefit from some surfactant administration, but weighing that the benefit of surfactant against the need to place the breathing tube, which as you said, is placing that laryngoscope, finding the vocal cords... Um, It's a very difficult procedure. It has a very low first attempt success rate and is associated with a lot of adverse effects for the baby, such as a lowered heart rate, lower oxygen saturation, pain, stress, those types of things. It was weighing the benefit of surfactant versus subjecting the baby to intubation in order to administer that surfactant. And so again, knowing that the LMA was available um, familiar with it from its use in adults. When I was an EMT, knowing that there was a small size available for newborns, but just something that was very uncommon or not frequently used in the in the NICU or the newborn situation. So that did lead to the idea of: Would not it be great if we could use the LMA to give them some surfactant, and then they would be much more successful on CPAP, and not only wean off the CPAP sooner, but also avoid the baby that was going to get progressively worse and require mechanical ventilation because of their RDS.
1: And so you tested this out in baby pigs first, if I remember, and then you moved on to baby humans
2: <laughs> right?
1: To test this out. What, what were the major findings that you had? What can you tell our audience in a bullet summary of what you found?
2: Yeah, so the first step was to make sure that it was effective in delivering the surfactant. So the biggest difference between the traditional method of placing the breathing tube is that the breathing tube itself is going through the vocal cords and the end is actually in the major airway of the lungs. And so when you administer the surfactant, it's going into the lungs. The LMA, as we mentioned, sits in the posterior pharynx, so kind of right in this pocket, right above where the trachea and the esophagus itself split off. And so the question was, would the LMA be appropriate use for medication administration so that it's directed down the... The lung itself and doesn't leak and go into the stomach instead. The first step was to try this out in an animal model and so looked at the gold standard of surfactant administration through an endotracheal tube versus an LMA and found that they were equally effective in delivering the surfactant to the lungs and that the LMA was six times faster and required half as many attempts to place. And this was in an animal lab where the technicians were very, very skilled in intubating piglets um, and never placed an LMA in the past.
1: Wait, I want you to say that one more time again. How much faster was it? And right. How much easier yep. was it? Everybody needs to hear this yep. again and again yep. and again.
2: Six times faster and required half as many attempts to place. And less oxygen desaturation during the procedure.
1: Yeah, So again, that's a huge, huge bullet point, a huge sort of highlight to everybody that's listening to this. If you don't intubate babies a lot, if you've never done it before, and you're in a situation where you need to save a baby's life, this is probably the thing you want to grab first. So everybody make sure you've got LMAs at your hospital and you know where they are. Big message. What else did you learn? What about when you took this to humans? What did you find out?
2: So we took it to humans, and we looked at a trial of the babies that I were describing, the ones that were showing signs of respiratory distress, kind of in that gray zone of needing 30 to 40% oxygen, and seeing if we gave them the surfactant through the LMA and put them right back on CPAP and how that compared to the control group that did not receive the surfactant in that gray zone. And the primary outcome was whether or not they needed to be intubated in the first seven days of life. And what we found was that the surfactant administration resulted in 26% fewer babies requiring intubation.
1: Wow. So that
2: was and was really an exciting finding because it showed that it worked that it helped babies avoid the progression to mechanical ventilation. Which is important because not only did we avoid the intubation procedure for placing the breathing tube, but then they were also able to avoid mechanical ventilation, which is a very large risk factor for the development of chronic lung disease in our babies.
1: Yeah, oh, definitely. And and you're helping them get better sooner, I would imagine, as well. Which
2: right. And less pain and stress, you know. The, yeah. We found the procedure itself took fifty percent less time than placing the placement of the breathing tube. But also, we found that babies that we place a breathing tube for, we give premedication, mm-hmm. um, that they remain still. We may give them a muscle relaxant so they don't move during the procedure, as well as pain medication and a medication to keep their heart rate up. And we found that. The, when we placed the LMA, they were equally as stable from a heart rate and oxygen standpoint without premedication, They just received a little bit of sugar water. They were equally as stable as the babies that were given the triple cocktail and a muscle relaxant that made them so they couldn't move uh, during the procedure. Also a big finding and very encouraging that the babies tolerated this procedure very well without the use of pre-medication and a, and a muscle relaxant that it was Quick and easy, less time for the baby to be stressed by the procedure, and also that the provider doing the procedure felt very comfortable after only two opportunities to perform the procedure.
1: So you're telling me that it's easier, it's faster, I'm not as stressed as a provider when I'm doing it, and I'm not causing pain to the babies as much when I'm doing it. Now, after hearing all that, I'm sure, probably not, but there might be somebody somewhere who is saying, you know, I've been doing the same thing for 10, 15, 20 years. I'm really good at it. Why in the world do I need to switch to something new? If there happens to be anybody listening that's having that thought, what advice would you give to them?
2: My advice would be, is to be open to a procedure that is fast and easy and less stressful for you and for the baby.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And if there's a hospital out there, maybe there's an administrator listening to this or some nursing manager somewhere who's over a level one or level two facility, they're birthing some babies. They may have a pediatrician or family physician who helps do their pediatric care, but not a neonatologist or neonatal nurse practitioner readily available, what advice would you give to them about making sure they have LMAs available or their staff trained with this?
2: All right. Well, my advice would be to make sure that there is the device present and that people know where it is. And that also just to really increase the familiarity with the device. Like I mentioned before, that Providers that are present at deliveries, including OB nurses, pediatric nurses, people that attend, the the staff that attend newborn deliveries are usually NRP certified. And so they have used one in the past. And so my advice would be to have the providers have frequent refresher courses or just-in-time refresher on a mannequin. So just prior to going to a delivery, pull out a mannequin, place one. And that will really improve confidence and familiarity with the
1: device. Yeah. And finally, since you used to be one, our EMTs. So right. our EMTs that are listening to this, who hopefully getting some ideas about some equipment they they want to have in their ambulance, but at the same time, they're like, you know, I've got all these other things I need to to remember, and I've got to know how to do this and do that. and. Every now and then we'll encounter a baby that we need to do something for. But what advice would you give to them in taking the time to learn to do this and maybe making sure this piece of equipment is available? Mm-hmm.
2: My advice would be that reach for the LMA. It's something that does not require laryngoscopy. It can be done very quickly in the field. doesn't need to be a sterile procedure. And that if you take the time to learn how to do it, And take the time to keep your skill fresh in your mind that when the situation arises that is a high anxiety, high stress situation, that will be present and available as one of your tools in your toolkit. And that will, the ability to provide ventilation to a patient is the primary goal in resuscitation. And using an LMA is a way to obtain that goal in a much more rapid and less stressful manner.
1: Yeah. And of course you can transport with these for hours right. on end if you need to. So it's, it's an absolutely right. fantastic device and, and stay stable once it's in place.
2: Right. And I think that's also something that's changed dramatically in the last several years is initially they were really viewed as an airway that was available if you were unable to intubate and really just a bridge until someone was able to intubate. And really, that's changed over the last several years. They're now being used very commonly for short surgeries, such as eye surgeries for preterm babies or hernia repair. They're being used for transport, and they're being used for medication administration, like we talked about. But it's no longer a device that's viewed as just a real short-term bridge to obtaining a, a more stable airway through a breathing tube.
1: Yeah, fantastic. So, hey, Carrie, as we wrap this up, I like to ask this question to everybody. But let's imagine you could have a gigantic billboard somewhere and it's on the way to work. People see it every morning. They see it when they're leaving to go home. It's on the interstate there in Minneapolis. So, hundreds of thousands of people are driving by it every day. And it could say anything you wanted to some life message, something specific about what we've talked about today, just what. Words of encouragement or advice would you would you want to give to someone?
2: The words are my life motto is equip me to be successful in what you have called me to do, and so that is something that goes through my mind frequently. And as I look through my career, like I mentioned before, starting with an EMT and being familiar with an LMA, because of that, that was thirty years ago, uh, and now has traversed into something that has been the focus of my academic and clinical career as well as provided the opportunity to meet people such as Scott Guthrie. We've gotten to travel the world together because of this, and so I'm just blessed and thankful for the opportunity to, to do what I've been called to do.
1: Yeah, Likewise, I'm very glad I ran into you several years ago. We'll have many, many more fun journeys together.
2: Sounds great. Looking
1: forward to it. If, if somebody wanted more information on this, is there any other uh, resources that you would recommend? And these will be available in our show notes for those of you that are listening.
2: Great. The the resource that I would recommend the most is the YouTube video that made that's a 14-minute training video and really just goes step by step through the procedure itself. It talks about equipment, the fact that the equipment is incredibly versatile. There is ways to do this with a lot of finesse uh, and lots of pieces of equipment in terms of a CO2 detector and different devices to administer the surfactant or it can be as versatile as having an LMA itself and a syringe with a surfactant. Um, We have videos from lots of different countries that show that it's effective uh, with very minimal equipment also. Going back to the video itself, walking through that procedure step-by-step and what you need for equipment, how to do the procedure itself. That would be the the recommendation that I would say is where to start. Fantastic. Please share my email address. I'm very willing to send resources and be available uh, Zoom has been something that's really blown open the door on the ability to communicate and be able to walk through providers step-by-step step and hand-in-hand. Hand. Like I said, the learning curve on the LMA insertion is very, very small. But whatever we could do to to get over that first hurdle of being willing uh, to try it is the biggest hurdle.
1: Exactly, exactly. Well, Hey, Carrie, I so much appreciate you taking time to uh, be with us today and sharing your expertise and knowledge with all of the TIPQC podcast listeners, I want to thank everybody for joining us today. Have a wonderful rest of the day.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby presented by TIPQC. TIPQC is funded under a grant contract with the state of Tennessee. Healthy Mom, Healthy Baby is brought to you through a cooperative agreement with the Alliance in Maternal Health. Do you have ideas for a future guest or topic, or even have a question you'd like answered on upcoming episodes? Visit www.tipqc.org and click on podcast to submit suggestions and questions to our podcast team. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to be the first to know when new episodes are available and find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube to stay in the loop with our active projects and other relevant news relating to perinatal health in Tennessee.